Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. I'd like to invite Joe to come up and give us the word. Thank you, Sean, for the selection of hymns and Julie for playing. Thank you uh, for Annie and for Lily for reading that passage of scripture. See, last week, Matt Carter brought us a message from the book of Jude. Looking at that, we are reminded of the fact that there are false teachers, false doctrine that can come in and impact the church. And as, as a reminder that we need to be aware of that. Today we look at the book of uh, Philippians uh, and uh, see the heart of God in, uh, through, this, through this book. So as we uh, think about this, the, the, you know, we, we don't want to read a book without knowing a little bit about how did the church come into Philippi? How did the church come into Philippi? Okay, So uh, before I start off, let me read that verse which, uh, which Annie and uh, Lily read. And this is Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And that's Paul talking. Then the peace of God will be with you. I call this a landing pad. A landing pad is a planned space. It is well lit. It has markings that enables a pilot to land properly. There's no extraneous things there. It's clear so that there would be a safe landing spot. I call it a landing pad. See, the letter to the Philippians was written during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. It was one of the most joyous and encouraging letters in all his writings. Here he is not straining to correct Doctrinal differences, he writes with the aim to strengthen the unity in the church, unity of both mind and purpose. It's a letter of encouragement, of guidance, uplifting commentary, and thankfulness. See, at this juncture in Paul's life, humanly speaking, one would least expect such joyful prose from the heart of a man who does not know whether he is going to live or going to die. So my question is, does Paul's attitude throw some light on how we should respond or react to crushing circumstances, ongoing or persistent pain, or as we think that the whole world is against us? Along the way, we're also going to look at the sustaining relationship between the Philippian church and Paul. 
With that in mind, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we course through these scripture passages, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds. Open our hearts and minds to what you have to say. Each one of us, you talk to differently. Each one of us are different, and we come with different needs and different uh, uh, problems and, uh, and different difficulties. And Father, you minister to us all. We pray, Father, for your blessing on us this day as we listen to the, uh, to watch the words that you have given me. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. See, Paul ministered in Philippi during his second missionary journey. He had spent three months in the city. In the book of Acts, we come across the story. The stories of Lydia, a businesswoman who not only believed in the redemptive power of Jesus, but also opened her home immediately to Paul and his co-workers. Together, let's take a look at the story in Acts. It's in Acts chapter 16. Because it gives us context to everything that Paul would write. Acts chapter 16, and we'll start at verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed across to the island of Samothrace. Now I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Okay? New Living Translation. And the next day we landed in Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went a little away outside the city to a river bank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Tyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be with her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. This is the start of Paul's ministry there in Philippi. But the chapter goes on to tell us some very interesting things, right? I mean, you're condensing down what happened over three months into a few verses here, right? But it gives us some context to what he would later write to the, the people in Philippi. So let's, let's pick it up uh, you know, in, the, in the next verses, okay? Here is a slave girl who has, who has a spirit that tells the future. Okay? So verse 16 of chapter 16 uh, in, in the book of Acts. One day, as we were going down to a place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell how to be saved. This went on day after day, 
until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hope of wealth was now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed around Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The, the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner, inner dungeons and clamped their feet in stock. So here's a slave girl who had a spirit that could tell the future. A great source of income for her master. Paul asked the demon to come out of her. Her master's hope of wealth immediately vanished. As a result of this, people seeing this, Maybe they believed the slave girl. The entire city, the Bible tells us, the entire city was in uproar. Now, at least the crowd, we know that. So, as a result of that, they said, these teachings, these teachings and customs are illegal for us Romans. So, what happens? Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown in the inner dungeons of the prison and put in stock. They are put there in a place that's darkest and the most innermost part of the dungeon. Now, if you and I were in that place, I would have said, what's wrong with these officials? I did something good for this girl. And this is what happened. I'd have a long face. I'd be complaining. Would you? Very likely, we'd be complaining. So let's pick up the rest of the story. Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and shouting. No, it doesn't say that. It says, praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to the foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed that the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds, and he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they had believed in 
God. Wait a minute. All of this happening? Let's go on. The next morning, the city officials send the police to tell the jailers, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves and release us. Then the, when the police reported the, this to the city officials, they were alarmed and they, when they learned that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they left the city. Does it say that? No. They returned to the home of Lydia, where they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. The cumulative effect of this story is that there was an earthquake. It caused the prison doors to fly open. The chains did not come off his moorings. The chains fell off the prisoners. That means they could run out and there was no, they would not be carrying chains. The chains fell off the prisoners. That is a miracle. They were free to escape. Given that, the jailer thought they had all escaped. But that's not what happened. They didn't. And he was going to kill himself because he thought if their prisoners escape, he would pay it with his head. So, he said, it's better for me to kill myself. Instead, Paul shouts at him, say, hey, we are all here. We have not gone anywhere. The big change in, this, in the jailer's heart immediately happens. Because he realizes that his life has been spared. Spared because none of the prisoners escaped. The jailer and his family believed in the message that Paul and Silas were speaking. See, throughout that evening, Paul and Silas was singing and praising God. If I was in that situation, you or I were in that situation, we would not be doing that. We'd be complaining. Their feet are in stock. They're sitting there and praising God in the midst of this, this, this difficulty. The jailer takes them to his home and feeds them. And then probably takes them back to the, to the prison, I'm thinking. But the next day the authorities find out that the people that they had put in prison, Paul and Silas, were Roman citizens. This caused them to be perturbed at their own miscarriage of justice. So they said, hey, can you just 
quietly go away. Just, just you know, we don't, don't send it, send this news upstream, you know, to the to anybody else. Just, just quietly go away. You see the thinking that's happening here. The very officials who threw them in prison now are afraid. It's not Paul and Silas who is afraid. Now this very likely, very likely caused them to view the message that Paul and Silas were speaking differently. What is it about these people? Together with that, they would have known there was an earthquake. The doors of the prison flew open. But these guys never escaped. I believe that the, this resulted in the growth of the church in Philippi. From being in prison, now that resulted in the growth of the church. Can you see that? Is there a connection? There is. See, so when we come to the book of Philippians, we've got to understand it in the context of what has happened so far. See, the context of the book of Philippians necessitates us to circle back to the close relationship that happened between Paul and the church in Philippi. Turn to the book of Philippians to uh, chapter 1. Paul first introduces himself and in verse 3 he says every time I think of you I give thanks to God. I give thanks to God. In verse 5 thinking of you brings me joy. He goes on to say you've been my partners in spreading the good news. This book is full of joy. Joy. The key verse in chapter 1 is, God who began a good work within you will continue to work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. In verse 7 he says, You have a special place in my heart. Let's look at verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. He's talking about joy. He's, he's talking about lifting up the spirits of these Philippian believers. He goes on to say that everything that happened to me has helped spread the good news. Everything that happened to me. Now at this stage, where is Paul? He is under house arrest. In Rome. He is guarded by the Praetorian Guard. They are the Imperial Guard. 
6,000 to 9,000 strong. He is chained to one of them. He is chained to one of them. If you were that Praetorian guard chained to Paul, what are you hearing day in and day out? What are you hearing day in and day out? He's probably told them about, you know what, I was in Philippi. I was jailed there and this is what happened. It's also going to tell them the gospel message. They're going to hear it, whether they like it or not. They have no escape. Who is chained? Is Paul chained? Ask yourself that question. He is rejoicing. Paul already had the experience of being chained. And God released him. This time you think those chains are going to keep him there? Absolutely not. The Praetorian guard who is guarding him after his shift is over is going to go back to the barracks. And he's going to tell others. You know, I have never guarded a prisoner like this. This guy's happy. What's wrong with him? I never heard him cursing me out. I never heard him saying anything bad about the authorities. He's only talking about the Savior. The other Praetorian guards hear this. So there are multiple Praetorian guards guarding Paul. They all hear the message. What do you think is happening? What do you think is happening? See, the Bible is rich with these kind of stories. If you think a little bit more, beyond just reading the verses. There are, I mean, in those difficult times, Paul was able to give the message of salvation. He was not the one in chains, although we would say that. He was rather the Praetorian guard who was in chains. Because, and he goes on to say, because of my imprisonment, many of the believers have gained confidence in speaking God's message. So, in Rome, the message was being spread by other believers who now had confidence to talk about it. Verse 21 in the chapter says, a verse which many of us know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I like the selection of hymns we had this morning. Reminded us of that. But he goes on to say, but for your sake it is better that I continue to live, knowing that I am convinced that I am, if I remain alive, so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. He wants people to experience the joy of their faith. And in verse 28 and 29 he says, Do not be intimidated by your enemies. Do not be intimidated by your enemies. You have been given the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. Also the privilege of suffering for Him.
Every evening when you listen to the news, whether it's a local or the national news, most of the stories that you hear or are spoken about are downright depressing. There's shootings, killings, death. It's all bad. There's a trend that's there within news media now that they end up with one good story. On January 12th, CBS News uh, reported this story. Steve Hartman was a reporter on that. A Texas woman was driven off her land by a racist mob in 1939. More than eight decades later, she owns it again. Let's pick up the story. It happened in Fort Worth, Texas. At the age of 97, just stepping out of a 4x4 truck is a major accomplishment, but Opal Lee has taken much greater strides than this, with no plans to sit anytime soon. We don't have to sit around and wait for the Lord to come for us, Lee told CBS News. In fact, he is going to have to catch me. Opal is a retired teacher and lifelong community activist in, in Fort Worth, Texas. But what is lesser known is how the fire in her belly came to be. In 1939, when Lee was 12, her family moved into a house that stood in an all-white neighborhood. They had lived at the home for just five days when a mob showed up. They tore it asunder, Lee said. They set stuff on fire. They did despicable things. The family moved away and moved on. They just wanted to forget the horror until eight decades later when Lee decided the time had come to remember it. So she looked up the address and discovered that the lot was still vacant and owned by the local chapter of Habitat for Humanity. Trinity Habitat for Humanity CEO Gage Yeager took Lee's call. He listened to her story, but then told her she could not buy the property. I said, well, we won't sell it to you, Opal, but we will give it to you. There's no option for anything else. Lee's response was, when I get happy, I do a holy dance. <laughs> and she still hadn't heard the best news of all. Gage offered to work with donors to put a house on her land for free. Plans were done and a hope is to be ready for Lee to move in on her 99th birthday. Lee says, I want you to know that I have a God who has been so good to us and to me. I think if I ask, he'll let me have a couple more years. 
That was her faith. I think it was her faith that carried her through. Now, now the, the news article does not say it, but I'm absolutely certain it was her faith that endured all these years and carried it through. And God came through for her in the end. What a story. Moving on, let's look at chapter 2 in the, in the book of Philippians. Paul encourages the Philippians to agree wholeheartedly with one another. And of course, I'm doing just a quick survey of this book, okay, brothers and sisters. He wants people to love one another. Working together with one mind and purpose. He tells them, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Don't only look out for your own interest, but take interest in others too. In verse 6 through 11, Paul takes, talks about the incarnation. God became man. Now let's pick it up at verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. God became man. In verse 14, he encourages believers to do everything without complaining or arguing. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining as bright lights in a world that is full of crooked and perverse people. That's quite an encouragement. And, and that's a hard thing to do. Be a shining light in a world where there is, which is full of crooked and perverse people. Is there any example that we can look to? Is Paul an example here? Absolutely. And then he encourages them, hold firmly, hold firmly to the word of life. See, as he's writing this letter, Paul seemed overwhelmed in his desire to be with the believers in Philippi. But he cannot. Because he's under house arrest. So the closest thing he can do is to send Timothy. Paul has already envisioned Timothy going there, visiting with the church in Philippi, and coming back to Rome and reporting to Paul. And this report cheering him up, causing him intense joy. See, the church in Philippi played an important role in Paul's ministry. In chapter 4, we are told that Paul, within his own writings, tells us that the Philippians were the only ones to give him financial help. No other church did it. They sent financial assistance when he was in Thessalonica. These believers, at this stage, very likely sent a monetary gift to Paul. They send it with Epaphroditus, who went to visit Paul 
during his imprisonment in Rome. Now, sending money to somebody in those days was not an easy task. There were no wire services. It had to be carried there by hand. A traveler in those days could easily fall into the hands of robbers. The journey had to be carefully planned to avoid danger. See, this letter, Paul takes time to write to the Philippian church about Epaphroditus. Let's pick it up in chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. Chapter 2, verses 25. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. That's a mouthful there. He's a true brother, co-worker and fellow soldier. And he is your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after the other. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love, and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. See, it seems like Epaphroditus had fallen ill to the point of death. The church in Philippi had sent him with a gift for Paul. And they were expecting him back at a certain time. Now when that did not happen, normal human suspicion creeps in. Did Epaphroditus take this money and abscond somewhere? Or did he extend his stay in Rome to enjoy some of the pleasures of the city? See, in order to counter any such thinking or suspicion, I believe Paul specifically writes that they should welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor. We move on to chapter 3. In chapter 3, Paul is exhorting the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now, there were a group of people called the Judaizers. They wanted others to be circumcised and accept the tenets of Judaism before they could be saved. They wanted to take away the joy of your salvation by adding a few more things that you needed to do. Paul says, no, no. These are not people that you want to associate with. You cannot believe their message. These are false teachers. Paul then goes on to talk about himself. Him being a real Hebrew, a zealous member of the Pharisees, and a persecutor of Christians. 
See, if anybody had to be a Judaizer, it would have been Paul. But he distances himself from that. Absolutely distances himself. There's nothing to be added to the gospel of salvation. Absolutely nothing. He goes on to write in verse 7 of chapter 3, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. This, I would call, is Paul's elevator speech. It's a thumbnail of his testimony. Here was a person who threw others in jail. It's a poignant reminder to the reader that he considers any accomplishments that he has made worthless compared to his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wants the Philippine believers to safeguard their faith in the same way. Don't let others who want to add to the gospel derail your Christian life. Don't add any cultural practices to this. Don't let them derail your Christian life. Press on to the goal. Press on to the goal that is set before you. In chapter 3, verse 15, he gives us some insight into Paul's thinking about unity. If there's a disagreement among you, he says, God will make it plain to you. But hold on to the progress that you have already made. It doesn't say that you will have no disagreement. In short, do not let the disagreements tear you apart. Do not let the disagreements tear you apart. The devil likes to do that. I believe verse 1 of chapter 4 really should be in chapter 3. He says, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you. You are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Can you see his joy at writing this? Can you see how joyful he is at meeting somebody who came with a message from Philippi. He is really excited about writing to them. He is joyful to hear from them. But, in chapter 4, there are two, la- two women, Yodia and Syntyche. And he tells them, there are differences between you. Settle your differences. Now, I did not, we do not know what the differences were. It seems to be minor. It does, I mean, Paul doesn't expand on it at all. Maybe they didn't like the paint in the kitchen. Who knows? Or what was cooked for breakfast. You know, they could not agree on it. Doesn't matter. But the differences were small. Settle those differences. Settle those differences, he says. In verse 4, Paul urges the believers to be full of joy in the Lord. Rejoice, rejoice. Can you see why this is a happy book? 
Let, every, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. The Lord is coming soon. See, worry is an instant thing that robs us of our joy. We can see it on faces. And others can see it on us. Paul tells us this, pray, tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He has done. Thank Him for what He has done. Then you will experience God's peace. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Going back to Paul's imprisonment in Philippi. What were they doing? Singing and praising God. In the worst of circumstances. Paul is writing from his own experience. He's writing from his own experiences. And now we approach our landing pad. Fix your thoughts, dear brothers and sisters, on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, and what is admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Even in those in the dungeon, even when you are chained to a Praetorian guard, he, Paul could think about things that were excellent and uh, of praise and make it through the day. The result is that the peace of God will be with you. You could not imagine a more encouraging ending to a letter or an email you would receive. Very encouraging. Are you encouraged by this? I hope you are. I am. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul wraps this letter in a bow tie. He expresses pure delight that overflows from his heart. Here we read in chapter 4 at the end, a heartfelt thank you to the Philippian believers for their gifts. But I also see a thankfulness on the heart of the Philippians for Paul. Because Paul brought the message of life to them. And in that, they, they, they had a compelling desire to encourage Paul. Even as we say, Paul was encouraging the believers. Remember, they were encouraging him with their gifts and their prayers. They cared for the welfare of Paul. Is there anybody in your life that encourages you? See, the Philippians were supporters of Paul in his ministry. They were, he were big supporters of Paul in his ministry. So here are some takeaways from this lesson. Think about or let your mind focus on what is true, what is honorable and what is right, 
what is pure, what is lovely and admirable. Let your mind focus on that. Let the joy of the Lord light up your life. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be an encourager. And work towards unity of mind and spirit. Do not let small misunderstandings derail your fellowship. I talked the, uh, as this being the landing pad. This is where I started. And I, when I started, I read this verse and I said, oh, I've got to sp- I should speak about this verse. But as I looked at that verse, I had to go through the entire book of Philippians. It's only 104 verses long, brothers and sisters. Only 104. Grab a hot chocolate today. Or later in the week, maybe a cool lemonade. And sit down with this book. (laughs) Sit down with this book. And read it. Just read it. Just for pure pleasure. Don't think, oh, I've got to do this under the Bible study. Just do it for pure pleasure. Enjoy it. And let God speak to you. God has put a few things in my heart, but God is going to put something else in yours. Let Him speak to you. Some takeaways, I'm going to repeat it again. Think about or let your mind focus on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely and admirable. Then all the worries of the world fade away. Let the joy of the Lord light up your life. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be an encourager. Work towards unity of mind and purpose. Work towards unity. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. It was an encouragement to me. And I pray that you would have the opportunity to be encouraged by reading this chapter and encourage others. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We could look at the book of Philippians and be encouraged by the words of Paul, although he was in chains, but he could delight the hearts of others through his ministry. We thank you, Father, for that. We pray, Father, that you would be with us on this cold Sunday, but we thank you, Father, for warming our hearts and minds to what you have to say. Be with us as we go out from here. Keep us safe on the roadways too, we pray. This in Jesus' precious name. Amen.